talk about the natural person. Uh, today's the 30th of November, and the title of this chapter, and this chapter is a long chapter, so I think it might end up taking us um, two weeks to do, but it's titled The Natural Man. And of course, Joko very quickly clarifies that it's not natural man, it could be natural woman, but she says she's just going to use that term for whatever reason. Um, So, what's the core of what she has to say about in this chapter? And in, in a sense, what she's doing is doing this as a dialogue in order to help clarify what gets in the way. I, I think she expresses this chapter pretty much in a short paragraph on 211. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the la- second to the last paragraph, Our Essential Task. Yeah. She talks about our true nature. I mean, this is what yes. she's talking about. It's always there. Yes. Always undisturbed, present, etc. I won't read it. Everybody can read it for themselves. But I think that the chapter kind of, that paragraph kind of expresses what she's after in this uh-huh. chapter. I, I thought the, the allusion to natural man, it threw me when I was reading this chapter. How and, so? Well, you know, I mean, in other places, I think it's in this book, she talks about the natural person as being one who, who gets caught up and has attachments and etc., etc. Uh-huh. Kind of the opposite of the way she refers to it in this chapter. Uh-huh. So I'm, this, this, this concept about natural as opposed to unnatural, I mean, she, she kind of bursts that bubble of that dichotomy you know, in the chapter itself, but, I don't know, in some places this chapter, it didn't seem like her writing to me, in some places. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> I know it is. So, why do She's always the same person, and always, you know, I mean... If it's always, if it was always the same, there'd be no reason to write a book. You'd just say it once. Chapter, it. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing is, you have to come up with new ways to say the same thing in different ways. But but in part, it's because we always find new ways of, if you want to say, making trouble where there doesn't have to be trouble. Um, Well, and I think one way we do that is, is holding on to concepts like natural and unnatural. Well, yes. Um, and I know that's really not what she's... I mean, I don't think she talks so much... I don't think she talks so much about unnatural, but using natural as a sense of that this is the way it always is for us, and yet it doesn't seem that way for us. Or, as she puts it, we try to fix and change things and create all sorts of problems in trying to fix what we think is a problem. And that whole uh, cycle is what creates difficulty. 
Yeah, that's why I like that paragraph, because she kind of drills in on it. Um, and, and talking about what practice is not, because I think that's a common pitfall that we all run into, about what we think practice is and um, should be, etc. At the top of page 209, she has a sentence that's very simple, but if what was happening in our lives were okay with us, nothing would disturb us. So, as soon as we find things that disturb us, right there is the opportunity to see what's called for, to see what we're believing or what we're doing that makes this disturbing. Or what we're believing is lacking that needs to be different. And it's not a matter of theory, but a matter of seeing it in the specifics. And it's always in the specifics that our, um, call it our natural life, gets a little bit twisted and distorted. Um, Now, natural life doesn't fit any image that we have. Uh, Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's weary, sometimes it's sick. Sometimes it's all sorts of things. Um, So we have to be careful with those words, natural, because um, we have ideas that we bring with that without being aware that we're bringing that along about what's natural and what's not natural. Is it natural for people to try to kill each other? I don't know. Seems to happen. As far as I know, Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon killed each other in various ways. Was it natural? Was it unnatural? Go back further, uh, I was going to say generations, further uh, millennia, and you'll see that other kinds of hominids did the same. Natural? Unnatural? If two chimpanzee troops meet and they start fighting and killing, is that natural or is it unnatural? So, we have to be careful with what we do with those words. Um, And then to see what's skillful for us to do and what isn't skillful, because part of practice, part of being natural, is discovering what's being skillful. And skillful is based on reality as it is. Reality means the whole of our life, means all the different facets of being human that you are, each of us, and each of us is different. But I don't want to talk so much, so... uh, As... Hey, I'll, I'll... on page 210, towards the bottom of the page, the next to the last full chapter, she says, A natural man 
excuse the word man, but a natural man enjoys life. He enjoys loving. He gets upset now and then, and prob- but probably not for long. He may be fearful when his survival is threatened. And in, 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 if we continue that, he may even um, react with, out of that fearfulness with violence in all sorts of ways. But being natural also means that we're constantly changing and not having to hold on to particular pictures of self or other. Or we hold on to them and we see how much trouble they create. So since you've all read this, you're all experts on being a natural person, since you've been doing this since you've been born, at least, what what do you have to say about what you read here and what she has to say about practice? One thing you just said, uh, I wonder about... Um, we cause all sorts of trouble. Uh, actually, I, I think that's one of the cru- one of the key points that she's making is that once at some point we have to start to see the unnaturalness of the emotional reactions, the fantasies, and such. The things we're creating. Yes. That, that we have an opportunity through practice um, to take off the blinders. I think she talks about blindness. Yes. Uh, you know, the clarity that can come um, just from um, through patient and long term uh, she talks about you know it takes it can take a, a while um, to see that um, to, to maybe become more the naturalness you know that we always are but, but we sometimes get blind to it. We forget about it or aren't able to see it through egocentric ways and such. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and the suffering that we cause to ourselves and others because of what you might call those ways of thinking and perceiving and reacting that comes out of that self-centered thought or attachment. Yeah, I, I need to say one thing about that. If I, I'm not, I, if I may, um, I want. I think I, I think it's important to be a little careful about how we discuss that suffering, that and harm, because it can start to be another punishment for somebody. Well, what do you, you know, mean? It, well. suffering, but really it's coming out of something that's not real. 
So then there's a healing that can happen. Potentially, I might say I'm sorry, or I might make uh, amends in some other way that you know might be appropriate. Um, to the best that I can, okay, or that one can. But I think it's, it, I don't know if it's this book or the other last book, but you know she talks about um, you know the tremendous grief that can can be involved in this practice too, because you start to see that yeah. wow, you know, there's a lot of the self-centeredness may have there may have been uh, you know um, harm and suffering caused. And one realizes, oh, gee, didn't really mean to do that. It's done. You know, maybe they can fix it. Maybe they can't. But you can't just stay there. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I think if you stay there, one thing this person, stay with with feeling bad about suffering and harm. You see suffering and harm, and you try to, you know, do better, better, quote, unquote, but... Let me just let me just stop now because I, I can't I, I don't feel like I can articulate this better right now. Okay, uh, I, I don't see that you're supposed to. I mean, you you used to, you said feeling bad about the suffering and harm. That isn't part of practice. Feeling bad is just another layer that we create and add on to to punish ourselves or others. It's just more self-centered thinking. Practice is not about judging or feeling bad about something we've done, something we're doing, uh, that's extra. Um, so it's valuable to notice when that extra gets added on, because that's more of the same in a slightly different form. So it's not a matter of doing anything like that, though that happens because we are used to it. We're used to acting in that way sometimes. Sometimes. Um, but it's more, if I say it, a matter of seeing what's called for skillfully. And what's called for skillfully is very simple, whether it's noticing thought and being bodily present, whether it's being experiencing, labeling thought, if we say that. It's not trying to fix it or to, to add on um, judgment about having missed something. Um, it's not about finding something. It's rather very simple. In a way, it's a willingness to feel the suffering when that's what we're feeling. But because it's ongoing change, because when we're when we notice thought, that gives the thought the ability to what should I say open up and dissipate, even though it might arise again instantaneously. It's that's this, the moment of practice because thoughts are ongoing changing. Thoughts are arising, passing. This bodily or body-mind experiencing is always changing without any fixedness. It's not me and it's not someone else. So if we don't hold on to that, then it's perfect for us to say, I'm sorry, or excuse me, 
if that's called for. But then it's done. If we say, oh, I'm sorry, and no, I always do this, I always have to say I'm sorry, then we're caught up in a loop of thinking and tensionizing ourselves and punishing ourselves with judgment. See, then, then we're, we've taken the fixing it attitude about practice, and that's exactly what she says it's not. Um. I just want to say that actually I certainly agree with what you're saying that's not the point I was trying to make about this and I just need a little more time to be with that to perhaps articulate it better fine, great and you have as much time as you need Joko says, renunciation of self happens each time we see our thoughts spinning. We label them and give up our little self, that's what the thoughts are, and return to what's happening. We return to taking in the bodily sensations, the sound, smell, and she says, when we sit for a week in retreat, we should do this 10,000 times, maybe 100,000, maybe 
ten hundred thousand. Uh, she doesn't say that's, that's right. There's nothing fancy about it. That's, that's, that's just right. it. It's just, it's just very ordinary. That's right. Um, just life itself being this moment as it is and being somewhat meticulous about noticing when we're caught in a whirlpool of thoughts or feelings or reactions or whatever way it manifests um, and and it's the willingness to remember to do this or to do it when we forget to do it without an expectation or even with an expectation that oh okay I've done it then I don't I don't want to have to do it again and then lo and behold five minutes five seconds five hours five days after we're doing it again so we do it again, so to speak. Again, it's just our story of it. It's the doing it now, based on what's called for now, based on my ability now, um, that's what allows us to be the natural person that we are. And that's what she's talking about in this chapter, in different ways. Um, not something new we need to go create, but something that we always have access to in, in the simple process of living and something that our habits keep uh, detouring us. Um, in other words, making us detour from um, in the uh, force of the habits or the cause and effect ha of the habits arising when they do. I'll say habits, you could say something else, you could say reactions, you could say self-centeredness, you could say attachments, whatever you want to call them, or however they seem to come up for you now. And if they come up in all sorts of different ways. If you want to use the word addiction, Joyce, you brought that up. Use the word addiction. We're addicted to self-centeredness. Joko gives a nice example. Um on page 212. Suppose, this is the top of the first law, full paragraph. Uh, she says, suppose someone says to me, you're stupid, Yoko. She's simply giving me her opinion. I fire back with my opinion. I'm not stupid. You're the one who doesn't know what you're doing. And so we go back and forth. We fall into these games because of our self-centered, egotistical mind. And uh, I'll add, we fall into them in more subtle ways, um, whether we argue with uh, people uh, in our minds, people say things and we argue in our minds about what they say, or we argue with the media, and there's all sorts of things in the media you could find cause to argue with. Um, but as she says... Or we argue with our past or future selves, 
Um, we fall into these games because of our self-centered egotistical mind. From such a standpoint, there's always something wrong with the world. In fact, however, life itself is fine, quite undisturbed. But, of course, what causes disturbance, as she says, are our opinions. This is on page 212. You all should... should it's, it's the first large paragraph which, which starts Joko. In fact, each of us should, should... We could almost hire someone to once a day find an opportunity to come up to us and, and tell us how stupid or foolish or whatever... But then make good use of when that when that person appears in your life because if you could remember that that person is a practice opportunity, then you can respond differently or in a more skillful way when that comes up. In fact, you could enjoy it. It's yeah. hard because none of us want to be told that even yeah. by I was, talking about, I was actually talking about more, it's an internal, it's yes. an internal thing. Yes. Like, when I made the joke, I don't have to hire anyone, I just meant, like, I'll, I say it to myself. Every time you do that, you should give yourself a quarter. <laughs> But then you only move money from one pocket to another. <laughs> what, you, what you have to do is give yourself a quarter or a dollar or whatever that has to be spent on, and you figure out what it has to be spent on that you otherwise wouldn't indulge yourself or allow yourself or given away to. I don't care what. You make up your, your own decision. Something about um, on page two fifteen, um, the the first full the first full part where she says, "What is an emotion? An emotion is simply a combination of body sensations and thoughts, etc." Yeah. And then she talks about um, you know as we think these thoughts, the body's tightening uh-huh. um, and so forth. I, and then uh, you know we we can label the thoughts. You know, and then they 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 may begin to the air is let out of them, you know, and what we're left with this tight suffering body, and then then she says, and if we just stay with with that without thoughts, then what happens? Well, eventually that goes too. The thing that I have certainly experienced that well to some degree, but the problem to me is. That, I mean, it sounds very easy to say, I, I, I mean, I can see thoughts um, associated with the tightness, but this idea of staying with the tight suffering body, let's say I have a migraine and, a, and you know, feel incapacitated with pain, then, you know, it's very difficult, it's difficult for me to just be with that with no thoughts until, you know, and it will pass, but 
but and what and what and when I was talking about like the self punishment thing, I mean a lot of times I get into you know this idea. Oh my God, I didn't catch. There's something going on. I'm you know where I'm you know uh, I self centered thoughts. I don't like the way things are. I'm resisting things, etc. I didn't catch those thoughts, and therefore now I have all this tense. Tenseness, and I have this migraine, and oh my god, oh my god. So you know, it becomes kind of a beating myself up thing, and yes. then you know, it's 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 just it's a whole thing, and it's just hard to. Um, so there's that part of it, which is, oh, I wish I had been able to see whatever the thoughts were that are that you know resulted in this pain, this bodily pain. So there's that part, but then there's the other part of just how do I just stay with this pain uh-huh. without either the self-recrimination or just thoughts about, I don't want this pain, I can't stand this and everything, you know, so it's, it's difficult to get through that part of, like, staying with that until uh-huh. it's over, and so uh-huh. I find that... Uh-huh. Be careful with that, staying with it until it's over, because it's very easy to mix up different things. First, you, you could mix up headaches or migraines with this results from because I had these thoughts and these feelings don't there isn't that kind of blame connectedness that you caused your migraine and therefore you should stay with it or that you shouldn't use alternative treatments but but wait I I really need to interrupt you here because I really feel like that's exactly what Joko is saying She's talking about your self-centered emotion thought re- results in tightness in the body, which causes yes. pain. I mean, she comes out and says over and over again that these things are tied together, and, and I actually believe that they are. I mean, I right. thought this before I read her, but but the thing is, I do I do fall into this self-blaming though about it. So and and that's not yeah that's okay. not productive at all. I mean, I yes. understand that. And uh, now first is. I won't say so much one thing causes the other, but I would say that the blaming and the tightness are different facets of this thing. Uh, So the blaming is the thought, emotion facet, and the tightness is the bodily, physical facet. Though if we focus on the thoughts, we tend to, in a sense, want to cut out the willingness to experience the tightness. Um, But it's important to see that tightness doesn't equal migraine headache and that we we shouldn't make some theory that because I have a migraine headache that means I must be thinking something wrong at the moment or because I have a bad cough there must be something I have to do about my emotion thoughts in order for that to cease. That kind of mixing up um, creates trouble because then we start to use our practice in order to create various states and we get confused and mixed up that way a little bit. Tightness is very simple. I mean, we could just feel it and it's not good or bad. It's just a, a manifesting of a certain body-mind state if we're judging ourselves, you could feel certain body tension that's part of judging. Sometimes we notice the 
emotion thought aspect. Sometimes we notice the bodily tension aspect. In a way, our practice is always to allow ourselves to be it in order for allowing it to pass when it does pass, whether it's the emotion thoughts that pass or whether it's the bodily tension that passes in breathing and being it. But we're not being it in order for it to go away. We're being it because this is what's right now. And, as she says, it might the tightness might increase and then might collapse. And then the emotion is over, which means there's a next emotion thought moment. Um, it's, as she puts it, the fact is there's nothing real about a self-centered emotion. Real in the in the sense that the emotions are important. Um, and as she says it, there's nothing, you know, less important than a self-centered emotion. It's a, a tension and thoughts that we've cooked up, or fictions, if I'll say it that way, that we've cooked up based on a story of what I need to have and what they are doing or they're getting or I'm not getting. And those fictions... If you stir the pot, you get a whirlpool of them. That's the tightness. So, in a way, it's useful to notice what we're doing that's not skillful. And part of sitting is allowing ourselves to be not doing, which means being willing to be the experiencing of the moment where we don't keep feeding it with more emotion, thought, or physical stirring. Um, so, and that's separate from when you have illness, see what's skillful to do about the illness. Or when you have a migraine, see what's skillful to do. Sometimes the direction to go is take care of the migraine, and then that takes care of the tangle of thoughts at the moment as well. Or something else. It's important to see that practice isn't an attempt to change the states, but rather to be present naturally in how your life is unfolding or revealing itself in the present moment, breathing, and all the other circumstances. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And 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 I'll, and at the same time, the physical. It's just difficult to stay with physical pain. Yeah, and it is difficult. It's difficult to stay with a tight, suffering body, as she calls it. And right. I was just complaining. I guess there's, there's <laughs> something we could do. You can stand it anyway. <laughs> There's some things we could do and some things we have to allow our life to do and it does it at its own pace and sometimes it does it in the ways we want it and sometimes it doesn't do it in the ways we want it. Fourteen, there are, there are times when we simply aren't willing to do the work for a while. 
Yes. Now, that, and that's what Lisa was talking about. I, I mean, to me, yeah, this pain or migraines, I mean, like, uh -huh. it's, more like, it's more like that to me sounds more physical and, you know, sometimes you can't stand to stay with the pain that long. But even emotional pain, uh -huh. you know, uh, sometimes I can't, uh, I, I have physical pain too, but I mean, my thing is, my shtick is usually emotional pain. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I can't stand it necessarily either, and it doesn't, it's not, I mean, I really can sort of step back and see it's not objectively good or bad, it's just that, you know, I, I, I have to check out sometimes, or I, or I don't even consciously check out, or sometimes it's just too painful, or, you know, it, it is what it is. Just yeah. like physically. Yes, and she does talk about more in this chapter we're towards the end of it but the, it, but the chapter is a pointer in a sense for us in terms of our own practice and that's the point here uh, the point of reading these chapters or reading what she has to say or talking about it is the encouragement for the rest of the time and the encouragement for the rest of the time in the midst of circumstances that we can't control, but in the midst of circumstances where we are living it, so we have the opportunity to see whether what we're doing in response is skillful, helpful, or whether it entangles us and creates difficulties. And that's what, what our practice is, whether it's on the cushion or off the cushion. Yeah, Neil, this is Lynn, and um, I just want to say that I think your interpretation and your explanation of what we're reading is very helpful. I think I have found a number of the words that Joko uses frequently mm -hmm. uh, to be uh, an obstacle. Uh, they're kind of a slippery slope. So when she talks about real and unreal emotion and separate and not separate, um, uh, you know, I think it's very easy to misunderstand what she's saying there. But uh, I think uh, it's helpful when you talk about it, when you talk about skillful means uh -huh. and you talk about, um, uh, you haven't used this term, but, but the way I translate it is... Uh, Part of the, I mean, the practice is kind of taking the backward step, and that is stepping back from the immediacy of the experience at times to sort of watch it, whether that's an experience of emotion, without trying to decide is it a real emotion or is it a not real emotion, is it self-centered, is it not, uh, to be able to simply observe it, find a place where you can observe it, um, or observe the thoughts, whether they're self-centered or they're not. Um, as part of the practice. So I, I think uh, so, some of the words that get used can be very slippery slopes, but I think it's very helpful how you're unpacking those. Yeah. And, and that's an important point to know that words are just words, and if we try to substitute a new set of words for an old set of words or try to say, I've got to say it the same way, then the words themselves become blinders because then we use the words to think about and to try to direct our practice and though we can use them if we hold on to them then they become ways to judge and they just become another self-centered attachment 
as opposed to allowing us to, if you want to say, jump into our life, which is, of course, where we always are, and yet we have to jump into it, so to speak, um, when we find ourselves entangled in one or another way of thinking about or um, uh, emoting thought that we are believing and that are hindering our responding. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I do, in one sense, I don't want to end this chapter, but in another sense, since we are doing this, I will say we, we can go on to next chapter, but I encourage you to look at this chapter again because there's a lot in it, and you know you're always welcome to bring it up, whether at the beginning of next week or at another time. So these chapters are supports for our practice, but not something that we need to memorize or hold on to. And um, They're reminders of how and what to do, and yet we have to do what's called for. Okay, so next week we'll do the fall. Well, it's interesting. We have natural man and then we or natural person, and then we go to the fall. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, thank you all. Okay, good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you.